news has a way of changing your life. That's why the gospel is called good news. It is a declaration, a declaration to you that we have been given a great gift from our God. News has a way of changing us. News has a way of transforming us. I remember I was 18 years old. And I was uh, living with my girlfriend. And she came up to me and said, and she told my sister first, because she didn't know how I would react. She thought I would, like, be mean-spirited and say you have to have an abortion or something like that. I guess that's what she thought, because she got my sister. And they both came up to me. And she said, I'm pregnant. I was 18 years old. Whatever my life was before those words came out of her mouth, I'm pregnant. Two words, change your life forever. Whatever my life was before, it was something wholly and totally different after I had heard that news. And the reason that it was wholly and totally different is because that news wasn't uh, distant from me. It wasn't like I could receive that news and then forget about it. It wasn't that I could hear that message and then go, oh, there's no response that I need to give. There's no uh, uh, retort. There's no way I need to be able to communicate back or live out or this would, see, this piece of news would have an effect on my life and in that moment I would start behaving planning, working differently. But news has a way of doing that. It can excite, it can depress. News can infuriate or it can uh, calm. It's news. We all have news, right? I just received um, some really good piece of news just before I got up here. Um, Bertha, Ron's mom, uh, leaned over and she said, I have pasteles for you. Now, those of you who maybe are not familiar with Puerto Rican uh, cuisine, uh, pasteles is, is happiness in a plate. I love pasteles. I love pasteles. And by the way, if anyone else would like to have pasteles for me, I'm so open. But I, I don't even share Bertha's pasteles. When she told me it, I was like, ooh, how can I keep this from my children? That's the way I think when it comes to patelas. It had an effect on me. But we all have news that has an effect on us. Isn't it true? You got that letter from college that said, you've been accepted. And it had an effect on you. And it changed. And you had a response. And it had practical application for your life. Or the letter came in and said, you were not uh, accepted by this college. And that had a change on you, and that had an effect, and that had a response, and that had practical application as well. News has a way of doing that. Today we're going to look at the case study of Mary. We're in this new series. And the new series is called, And That's What Christmas Is All About. 
Isn't it true? You hear that so many times on TV shows, and you see it so many times in movies, right? You don't even have to watch the whole movie. It's just like at the end, and they go, and that's what Christmas is all about. Well, we're going to spend four weeks. I'm not going to give you one Christmas message this year. I'm going to give you four because I don't want us to miss it because it's so easy because of how we've been inundated with what the Christmas message is. It's lost its luster. It's lost its grandeur. We've we've looked at the Christmas message through sanitized eyes. We We don't get amazed by it. We don't get floored by it. Today, I want you to try to make your minds like fresh new hearers of this incredible news. Today, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And in this news, I want you to know that God wants this news to affect you in both practical and emotional ways. I want it to affect you. God wants it to affect you. Just like that news that I heard with my wife, it made a difference in my life. But there's another news about another baby that is going to affect your life so much more than the arrival of my first son. And so we look at it at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Would you be kind enough to stand at the reading of God's word? If you can, if you're able. We do this, we stand at the reading of God's word because we want to be reminded of how uh, we value and esteem God's word. And so uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38 reads this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... Pause. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. This is important because Mary's going to, the angel's going to mention Elizabeth later on, and I'll be able to share it with you. But just so, so that at least you get the flow of thought. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel of the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she 
who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. This news, it's extraordinary, but you can imagine how Mary must have felt about it. It was news that was daunting. So we're going to look at Mary's response to the gospel message. All the Christmas message is, is the gospel message. Mary responds to the gospel message, and Mary's response is an example to us about what our response might be to the gospel message. For some of us, we've already responded in its confirmation and its affirmation and its encouraging. And for others of us, we have not yet responded or have responded in the negative. And God would say, take a second look. Take a second look. This is important. Like really, really important. So God, when he shares his Christmas message to Mary, She has responses. And I want us to be able to see what our response might be in light of Mary's response. So when God shares his Christmas message, we need, one, sober minds. We need sober minds. Do you see what it says here? In verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Mary was floored. This is not normal. I don't know. The problem is is that when you and I think of angels and things like that, we think of fat little babies with little bow and arrows with wings on their back. And, you know, right? And isn't that cute? And they, you know, they, they, they surf on clouds. And isn't that just lovely? And... That is not at all what the Bible means when the Bible speaks of angels. One angel literally defeated an army of 250,000 men. These were fierce warriors. If you and I saw an angel, just so you know, every time an angel shows up on the scene, people are terrified. It's the number one. And you could be a hardened warrior, a man of war who has fought battles and is not afraid of anybody. Whenever anybody sees an angel, they are like beside themselves. They are afraid. And Mary is no different. It's a, it's a, a great thing when this message of the gospel comes to you, whether by an angel or by the reading of God's word, when this gospel message comes to you, either through a service or a, a sermon, when, a gospel, when the gospel message comes to you, it is that we might have sober minds when reflecting, thinking upon, looking at this. This is no playtime. This is a very serious matter. The angel comes to her and she she got sober-minded right away. Not only was she sober-minded, she had sincere doubts. Does that surprise you that Mary had some sincere questions and some sincere... Now, here's the thing. 
And you can see this in verse 34. Do you see Mary? She goes, how would we, you know, the angel, we just read it. The angel comes up to her and says something impossible. He says, oh, you're going to be pregnant. And she goes, oh, pick me, pick me. How, how is this possible? Now, come here. I know that we think we live in this scientific age and that because we live in this scientific age, we are so much more advanced in terms of knowledge than the people who lived during Mary's time. And because of that, people back then always believed stories of angels and God showing up and this and that happening. But we, we who have scientific minds, we know better than to believe this sort of nonsense. No, no, listen to me. For as long as time has been, everybody has always known there's only one way to get pregnant. This, she did not go, oh, of course this is going to happen. You know, I was waiting for this. It was nothing like that. She said, how will this be since I am a virgin? You see, her response is our response. It was sincere doubt. Now, here's the problem. I love, when I'm, when I'm speaking to others about Jesus, or they'll come up, I'm a pastor, and people will come up to me and ask me questions. I, I, I put people in general categories. I don't know, because I've done this so long for like over 20 years. Generally, I, I put people in, in categories, and I go, okay, you're a either sincere doubter, of which I'm willing to have a conversation with you for years. I have friends like that, who are literally like, you know, they're just... They're wrestling with the information, and we're going back and forth, and I'm listening to them, and they're listening to me, and we love each other. There's a sincere doubter, and then there's an insincere doubter. The sincere doubter, here's the difference. The sincere doubter will allow for the answers of his questions to take him anywhere the truth will go. That's what the sincere doubter does. The insincere doubter only asks questions to confirm his bias. Here's what I mean. The sincere doubter will go, will say something like, but how could it be that a virgin would give birth to a baby? And then they wait for the answer. And then we start having a conversation about God's unlimited power. And if you could believe that God could make anything out of nothing, then maybe it's not such a far leap that he can make a virgin pregnant. In other words, the real miracle here is not that God can make a virgin pregnant. The real miracle here is how is there anything at all? Like, how does anything exist at all? Like, how did we get the first Adam? Because... Atoms can't just reproduce their, themselves. How do we get the first star? How do we get the first single cell? Animal? Like, how does this even happen? How do we get microbes? God called out of nothing something. In fact, whenever you push uh, people who have a far more education than I do, but I, I, I can't ask okay questions, I go, okay, so people, where did we come from? Well, we evolved from lesser beings, and you know, go, kind of go through that whole thing. And you go, oh, okay, 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 okay. I'm not going to argue that. 
Let's, let's accept that. Where did those things come from? And they go, well, they came from the, oh, okay, where did that come from? Well, you only have to ask that question about three times before you realize that where you're going is, oh, you mean something came from nothing? See, something can't come from nothing. That's not even possible. That's a, that's the, in fact, that's anti-science. Something can't come from nothing. That's a, like the, you don't need the blues song of, uh, you know, uh, nothing, uh, uh, nothing from nothing comes, right? You don't even, you don't even need that song. You, everybody knows that it can't happen. So the point is, is that when Mary asks a question, she's waiting sincerely for the answer. The insincere doubter, on the other hand, what that person does is that the insincere doubter asks a series of questions with no, they don't even want to bother to answer it themselves. You see this with parents. When parents, have you ever seen parents ask their children questions when they're upset? What were you thinking? They're not waiting for an answer. This is not an inquisitive mind. This is a mind that's just trying to process the stupidity of whatever the child has done. But it's, a, it's not a sincere question. It's just like insincere doubters. You ask questions without any desire for a real answer. Sincere doubters ask questions and they will go wherever the truth uh, takes them. God loves sincere doubters because it always leads them to the truth. Insincere doubters, though still loved by God and pursued by God, insincere doubters ask questions to just confirm their biases. They have no intention of actually growing or learning. We should be like Mary. Be like Mary in this, that when we ask questions about this impossible event, we should wait for God to respond to us in ways that are miraculous and powerful. So when God shares his Christmas message, that is the gospel, we need sober minds, we need sincere hearts, we need sub, I'm sorry, sincere doubts, and we need submissive hearts. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 says this. Mary's response after what the after what the angel had said and the impossibility of it all, he says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You see, her response is, her response is submission. Now, here's why this is so wild. Whenever you, get a mess, whenever you get the message of God, just know that it's going to cost you something. I know that when you turn on your televisions and you listen to the pastors speak, you think that when you receive the gospel that you're going to receive, it's not going to cost you anything. In fact, you're going to make a windfall. God is never going to allow you to be sick. God is never going to allow you to be poor. God is never going to allow you to go through difficult times. God is never going to allow your marriage to struggle. God is never going to allow you to mess up again. God is never going to allow you. That's what goes through your mind. That's what we hear over and over and over again. This is not the gospel message. The gospel message is that when you are called to come to Christ, it will cost you something. Think about what it cost this precious woman. And, and she was, by the way, she, was, she wasn't much younger than I was 
when I received the news about my kid. She was 16 at best, probably about 15, 14. And so she receives this message and she goes, now here's what's gonna happen. She, she lived in Nazareth, Nazareth, not New York. In New York, if you get pregnant, no big deal. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, so cool. Put it up on the Facebook, you know, let everybody know, have everybody like it. That's super dope. If you're like a 16-year-old girl and you want to get pregnant, New York is the place to be. <laughs> However, in Nazareth, that would cost her something. She would be considered a harlot. The, the boy who she's supposed to marry, that guy is not going to buy into this. In fact, we're going to look at his story next week. And God sent that boy an angel because you'd have had to send him an angel. <laughs> like there's no question, there's not a point in the, in, the, in the whole Bible where an angel was more necessary to guide a person's steps than the moment when he sent an angel to Joseph. Because nobody could believe that. Could you imagine your girl, she comes to you. You haven't seen her in three months. Why? Because she was with Elizabeth. And she comes back with the baby bump. And she goes, don't worry, baby. God did it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not buying. Like, I'm not flowing, right? Like, that takes a little bit more. We'll get a little bit more into that message next week. I'm just saying, she goes, she goes, not Listen to me, not God, can you tell me how this is all going to turn out? God, can you explain to me how this will all go? God, can you, you know why? Most of what we think is faith is just agreement. You know, God says, go in this direction. And we go, well, there's better pay. I might like the people who I work with. I don't like my job. God told me I should leave my job and go get this new job. That's how it works. And it's not, it's not faith. It's just agreement. With Mary, there was none of that. With Mary, she was going to be called a harlot. No one was going to believe her. Her son was going to be, and I mean this not in the cuss word way. I mean this in the biblical sense, that he was, in fact, a bastard, and that everybody would believe that he was fatherless. There's no one who was going to believe Mary's story. In fact, you know how profound that reputation went? When they wanted to diss Jesus, Jesus was in this like um, dissing contest, not dissing contest, but like he was arguing with the religious leaders and, and, and they went back to him. And their number one zinger, like, you know, the one that where, you know, you see the YouTube thing where everybody goes, oh, like the one that they, they literally said, well, at least we know who our father is. This was, he was a grown man. He was 30 years old when they told him that. Mary had lived with that scarlet letter. Mary would walk with loss of reputation, loss of honor. In order for her to say yes to Jesus, she would have to say no all of the things that she hoped for in her life. She was hoping that she would be married. Now it's up in the air. Who knows what's going to happen there? And she had good reason to believe that Joseph would not. Now her name, she, she agreed to be 
in the margins of society what a single woman, single pregnant woman in that day with a child, she would be like confined to like begging. She would, and she said, and here's what she said. May it be unto me. May it be unto me. Fulfilled your word. Now, when we see this, I want this Christmas for you to have sober minds. I want you to seriously consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to have sincere doubts. Let your questions bring about a desire for getting closer to Christ, not just confirming your already founded biases. And I want you to respond with sincere hearts. But lastly, I want you to consider this. That not only was Mary sober-minded and sincere in her doubts and submissive with her heart, but the angel, and in turn, God, gave her some solidarity with others. Listen to what the angel says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth, uh, or the, the text says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, go back, uh, go, or rather jump forward to um, verse uh, 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, uh, unable um, to conceive, is in her sixth month. Listen to me. When you and I start moving towards Jesus, God will regularly, habitually, he will put other people with us. First thing, what the angel tells her is like, oh, this is overwhelming. This is a lifestyle change. This is a, 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 a change that's so grave. I need to connect you with someone else. Her cousin was much older than her, way past the age of giving birth. And yet God miraculously made her pregnant through her husband in just a fantastic way. Not quite like Mary. Mary is a virgin uh, birth. Uh, not Mary. Uh, Jesus was a virgin birth through Mary. But it was miraculous nonetheless. And you need, when God is changing your life, you need, we need each other. Here's what you discover. In this Christmas season and in every moment of life, that those who need Jesus need those who need Jesus. That we are not to live as an island unto ourselves. Married men, you need other married men. Single men, you need other single men. Married women, you need other married women. Single women, you need other single women. You need people who are moving towards Christ in the same way that you are. Mary connects with Elizabeth. Now, interestingly enough, it just, he mentions it here, but later on in the text, we'll see that Mary literally doesn't even tell Joseph about this because the need was so great. Her need was so great to have someone confirm what she just heard, that she went to Elizabeth. Now, beloved, that's, that's instructional for us. We need each other. We need each other during this Christmas season. 
So, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Christmas. We're going to be talking about this beautiful message that God gives. And I just want you to set you up there. I want you to be, I want you to be ready to receive it, but not just receive it. Would you, would you be the kind of person who says to the people in your workplace, to those in your neighborhood, your neighbors, the people who sell food at the bodega, the people who are uh, around you, your family, your friends, would you be the kind of person who says, hey, it's the Christmas season. Come, let's, let's go to church together. Let me share you the story of Christmas. Let me, let me connect with you. Would you be that kind of person? Young people, you could add so much value to a person's life. You could see their lives change. Somebody did that for me. When I was far from God and wanted nothing to do with Jesus, someone said, hey, come, hang out with me. And they actually picked me up, which I was mortified when they did because I had no real intention of actually meeting them at the church. But they, 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 they came and picked me up. Beloved, beloved, you are loved by God. And you are loved by God so that you might be able to share the love of God with others. Would you not think that's too small a task? Would you take that task seriously? Now, there are those of you who think, no, this is something that I'm going to keep to myself. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to share this with anyone. And that's the way you were raised, and that's the way you were taught, and I'm just not going to share this with anyone else. I just, I don't know any good news that I've ever experienced that I won't share, that I don't immediately want to share with those that I love. I, I play the guitar, and I got a guitar recently. You know what I do? I get $100. Uh, every month in my budget and my family, it's the only money I get. Like I make, I make my the money that I make, but I get a hundred dollars every month, and that hundred dollars is meant to uh, buy gas. But I run to work and run back, not because I love exercise, but because I want that hundred dollars. I want it to buy, and I and I literally want it to buy something selfish. I want it to buy something that I want and that nobody else wants. And that, but I, I, I don't, it's a guilt-free thing because I was supposed to use it for gas, didn't need it for gas. It's like what you wish your T-Mobile account would do, rollover minutes, you know? And it's like, you know, so it's like rollover cash. And I don't use it for anything else. I have it in a secret place that my wife doesn't know. I think my wife doesn't know. She probably knows where it is. And so I bought me a beautiful guitar like a guitar that I really, really, really wanted like my whole life. This guitar is so dope. I had, um, it has, it has, it has glow in the dark side uh, uh, lights so that I can play this thing in the dark. The other day my son woke up and go, could you not play that right now? I'm trying to sleep. And I was like, no, no, no. Look at the glow in the dark dots. I literally, went to my daughter yesterday. They were playing a game yesterday. And they were going, and uh, my daughter, it was the first time she was there, Grace. Uh, um, uh, and I ran up to her and I said, stop playing this game. I shut off all the lights in the kitchen so it could be really dark. And then I showed her my guitar. And she goes, oh, that's so cool. And she didn't ask, but I just started to play for her because I was so excited about this instrument. 
That's not the only cool thing about the instrument, but it's one of the cool things about the instrument. And I even put it in a sermon so I could tell you how excited I am about this guitar. Why? Because I really, really love the guitar. It's, it brings me joy. It's such a satisfaction to me. Pause. That's my guitar. That's exactly right. Isn't that dope? Oh my gosh, I love this guitar. It's like super dope. It has stainless steel frets. It's amazing. Here's my point. Here's the point. Here's the point that I wanted to make. This is a big deal. Listen to me. Jesus is better than a guitar. Jesus is better than anything that you could receive. Mary received this message and immediately went to someone else to share what happened with her. Would you be that kind of person as the musicians come up? Now, as we reflect on this, we have a moment to think about. As we think about Christmas, I want us to also think about Easter. Because God did not just come to give us this wonderful gift of a baby being born that our sins might be uh, atoned for. But he actually followed through and gave his life. This baby never, did not remain a baby. This baby grew up, lived the life that you and I should have lived, but we did not. And he died the death that we deserve to die, taking the punishment on himself so that you and I could have eternal intimacy and eternal fellowship with the king of the universe. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he instituted this incredible moment to remind us that he is, in fact, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that we should not forget all he's done. Now, you have in your hand a pouch. Now, if you don't know, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to, you can participate in terms of listening and all that other stuff, but don't take it because when we, when we take it, what we're saying is thank you and I believe that. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he had a meal with his friends and he took a piece of bread at the very beginning of the meal and he broke it. And he broke this bread and then he passed it around while everybody had an opportunity to eat. And he said, this, this is my body broken for you. Take it personal. My body will be broken so that your body can be whole. And then at the same meal, he took a drink and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And the reason that he did that is because he wanted to remind us that everything about our salvation is not based on us being good. It's different than the secular Christmas that you hear about. In, Christ in the secular Christmas that you hear about, there's a guy who wears red who visits for one day only if you've managed to be good enough. In the Christmas message, 
there's a guy who bleeds red, who comes to be with you forever. And it's for those who aren't good enough. It's for me. It's for you.